Well, I want y'all to know you look a lot better than last time I saw you. Last time I saw you, you had masks and uh, six, di six foot social distancing and all kinds of stuff. But gosh, you look good today. And I, I'll tell you what, now, you may not believe this, but I almost feel like Mountain View is my home away from home. Uh, I think, um, you know, Brother Sammy gets me come preach so that when he gets back, y'all go like, well, we're sure glad you're back. But, <laughs> but anyhow, I do appreciate his, his confidence uh, in allowing me to fill the pulpit. I tell you that it's a, it's a, it is a, a serious responsibility for a pastor to guard this sacred desk uh, as to who comes and who teaches his people, who proclaims God's word from this place. And, and I highly respect Brother Sammy for that, and I hope he's, hope he's had a great week in the mountains and uh, just come back re refreshed. You know, what we don't think about, and having been a pastor, I can tell you this, we probably don't give our pastors enough time off. Um, you know, you, you, a lot of folks work a job from, you know, six till three or eight till five or whatever and they, they they're able at the end of the day they walk away they go home they spend time with their family their mind is is not on their job pastoring is not like that i mean you get up with it in the morning and you go to bed with it at night uh you have a, 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 there's no schedule because folks don't get sick on schedule folks don't die on schedule you kind of have to uh, take every day as it comes. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter how many hospital visits you've had to make, how many folks you've had to go see at home, how much counseling you've had to do. On Sunday morning, you better be ready to preach. So, you know, so giving your pastor time off is, is a good thing. And uh, Brother Sam, if you're listening, I'll expect my honorarium to be doubled next time. But, uh, no, but seriously, uh, folks, it is, it is good to be here. And, um, an unusual text. I, I, I preached this at First Baptist about two months ago, and as I, I really, when I, before I come here, I pray over what I should do. And I could not get away from, from bringing this particular message. And so it's called One Man Dead, One Man Dancing. And he said he had a hard time this morning figuring out a song for that. But uh, anyhow, if you've got your Bible, I'm going to let you do two things. One is find First Chronicles in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, well, you really need one. But First um, Chronicles, and you're going to want chapter, chapter 13. And then if you've got a bobby pin or a posty note or something, uh, stick one in 2 Samuel 6. We're going to be jumping over there, but it's just the same story from two different places with more details in one and the other, so that'll help us this morning. So let's, let's take a look at this um, and then see where we're going to, to go. First Chronicles 13, listen to what the first few verses say. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and as if it's of the Lord our God, let's send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and to the Levites who are in the cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us. 
and let's bring back the ark of our God back to us. We, we've not inquired at it since the days of Saul. And then all the assembly said that they would do so. For the thing was right in the eyes of the people. And so David gathered all of Israel together from Sihor to Egypt, as far as the entrance to Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kirath-Jerim. And David and all of Israel went up to Baal, from ba to Baal to Kirath-Jerim, which belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah, and Ohio drove the cart. And David said, uh, and David and all of Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps and stringed instruments and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to Kildron's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand out to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before the Lord. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the place Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah, to this day. And then David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me. Now, probably what we're going to need is a little bit of background because I find most Baptists don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. So what we've got to do is we've got to look back before this incident at about, about 70 years. Uh, and, and if you're a note taker, just jot down 1 Samuel 4, 2 and 3. Because back then, the Israelites were fighting their key enemy, which was the Philistines, remember? And they would, they would go into war, and they would fight against each other, and Israel got a whipping. And they all came back to uh, the, 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 the camp, and they said, I know what's wrong. We went out there without the Ark of God. We've got this magic talisman. It's kind of like it's the Ark, and it's, it, it, you know, if we take the Ark, man, we're going to win. So remember, they grabbed up the Ark, and they went tearing back out there, and they not only got whooped again, they lost the Ark. And the Philistines got it. You remember the story? Sure you do. So what did the Philistines do with it? They took this, this treasure to honor their God, Dagon. They took it to their temple, they parked it in front of Dagon, and they said, you know, we're great, Dagon's greater, and greater than God of Israel. Next morning, they came out, and guess what? That idol of Dagon was on its face before the altar, before the, before the ark. They said, well, this is not good, we must have had a little tremble last night, or maybe there was a soft spot in the ground or something, we gotta sit this guy, set the guy back up. Same thing next morning, they come out, here's Dagon on his face before the before the ark, and this time he's all shattered. And they said, look, we, we got to do something. We got, th this ark thing is not good. Then all of a sudden they started breaking out with sicknesses and boils and all kinds of physical problems, and they loaded that ark up on a new cart, and they sent that thing away. Well, the Israelites got it back. Remember, Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were, they were evil sons. They were killed in that battle, and Eli, I remember, fell off his stool when he heard 
Not when he heard that his sons had died, but he heard the ark was captured. Fell off his stool, broke his neck, and died. So the Philistines sent the ark back, and it ends up, the Bible tells us, at a house of a man called Abinadab. Uh, and, and his son was consecrated to, to care for that ark. It's in, in 1 Samuel 7.1. Listen to what it says. It says, Then the men of Kirath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And by the way, the, I'm going to mention this again and again. The Bible keeps saying on the hill, on the hill country, it was, it was rugged area of, of Israel, right just below Jerusalem as you go down to the airport. And Eliezer, his son, was to keep the ark of the Lord. So the ark had been stored there 70 years. 70 years. And that's why David says in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 13 and verse 12, how can I bring the ark of God to me? What was in David's heart that he wanted this ark so badly? Well, you, you, there's some things we got to remember. You know, that ark was it's just a box. It was a, it was a box about... Um, uh, four feet long, about two feet wide, about two feet deep. It had been covered with gold. It was wood with gold covering. Had a, a gold plate on the top called the mercy seat and the two angels. Remember all that? Okay. And that's what David wants. He wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Because that ark symbolized the very presence of God among his people. See, David had united the nation under one leadership, but now he wanted to unite the nation under, under one God. Back in the wilderness, you remember when, when they would camp as they traveled up from, from Egypt? The tent was in the middle, and all the other tents faced that tent with the ark in it. So that, so that the first thing you saw every morning was you were looking at that, that ark, the, the tent that the ark was in. And every night when you closed that, that flap on your tent, it was a way of God of saying, I am your God and you're my people and I'm here in your midst and I'm going to bless you. That's what David wanted. You see, Hebrews tells us in that ark, there were several objects. There was, for instance, uh, a jar of manna from the wilderness wanderings. There was Aaron's rod that had budded, you remember? There were the tablets of the law. And that ark is where that once a year sacrifice, the blood was taken by the high priest and sprinkled on the mercy seat for the covering of sin for another year. Because only through the shedding of blood can there be the forgiveness of sin. See, that ark, in showing the people the, the manna, it says God provides. Rod of Aaron. God protects. Tables of the law. God's precepts. The sprinkling of the blood. God's forgiveness. So, so all in all, David wanted to do a good thing. I mean, this was a great idea. Bring the ark that, that contained so much symbolism for the people of Israel up to Jerusalem. 
What a great thing. And David says from his heart, how can I bring the ark of God to me? That's the kind of question that believers ask. Maybe you've asked this question. How can I experience God in my life? How can I, how can I really know that God is at, at work in my heart and life? I want Him to have the glory from my life and transform me or your home. That's something we need in this, this modern age is that we have homes where, where God is the center of that home and the experience of God's presence in that place. Or even in our churches, I think we need a massive revival across America where God shows up when God's people show up. And that's what David wanted. But here's what we need to learn. If we're going to see anything from this passage this morning, this is one of the lessons you see, God only comes on his terms, not ours. If we're going to experience God's power in the life of our church, it's got to be because we have met his standards for that. And so, David goes to get the ark. In fact, it, it, was, it was a great idea. In fact, David's idea... Uh, looking at, at 1 Chronicles 13 and, and, and verse 4, his idea had 100% deacon approval. And they, they thought it was a great idea also. Now, let's bring the ark of God. Uh, it is right in the eyes of all the people. They all said, David, that is a super idea, son. We support you 100%. And you see that a lot of times in churches where the pastor and the deacons come together and, and they have this great idea for the church and, and the deacons are 100% behind the pastor, at least at the beginning. And David planned a, man, he planned a Rose Bowl-style parade to bring that ark up to Jerusalem. In, in 2 Samuel uh, 6 and, and verse 1, it says, And David gathered the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David... And all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, of stringed instruments, on tambourines and sistrums and timbrels. Man, it was a show. And they used a brand new cart. It wasn't a used cart. It wasn't an old cart. They went down to the cart maker and they said, we need a brand spanking new cart that's never been used before to carry our ark. The problem was, that's not God's way of doing it. That's the world's way of doing it. That's the way the Philistines did it. They sent the, cart, the ark back on a, on a cart because that's the way they do things. But that's not the way God wanted it done. Now I have to give you, I have to give you a, a mental picture. Yeah, let me show you the verse, first of all. Uh, let me see where it is. It's in 2 Samuel 6, 4. So remember I told you we're going to have to come back to 7, 2 Samuel. 
And chapter 6, verse 4 says this, And they brought it out, that is, the, um, uh, well, no, verse 3, So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, it was in the hill country. And Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, drove the cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Twice the Bible mentions that. Accompanying the ark of God on a hill, a hill went before the ark. Now, here's our problem. We have a Western mentality. We see a cart, we think of a, like a wagon. Okay, we got the horses out there. We got the, the buckboard seat sitting here. Here's Uzzah and a hill sitting on there, whipping the thing to get the ox to move. And the cart's behind them, ark's behind them. You got to erase that. Think of a cart, two wheels, and a tongue, two oxen out there. So a heel was out there leading the oxen. Uzzah was back here behind the cart. They weren't sitting on the cart. He's walking behind the cart, making sure everything's okay. So when they hit the thrashing floor, which is always at the top of the hill, the oxen stumbled, the ark started to slide, and what's this guy do? He puts his hands out to stop it. Problem was, no one's to touch the ark. And God strikes him down. You see, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much David spent to buy the, art, the, the cart. It doesn't matter how carefully they did the, the transformation or how wonderful the oxen were that led it. Folks, we've got to honor God, not with a new cart, but by doing what He tells us in His Word. That's how God is honored. And Uzzah touches the ark and dies. Now, now, back up. Who was Uzzah? Well, he was Eliezer's grandson. He was the, the grandson of Abinadab. The ark was taken to Abinadab's house. Then he had his son, his son who is, who is um, Eliezer. And then you have, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, Abinadab, Eliezer, and Uzzah. So you got three generations. Why did he do that? Now, I asked myself, why, why would he touch the ark? Well, the obvious answer is he didn't want it to fall. Or maybe like us, he wanted to help God out. You know, it's God's ark. We, God can't take care of the ark, so we've got to help him out. How many things do we do because we think we're helping God out? We need to look at our lives and say, am I doing this because this is what God asked me to do? Or am I doing it because I want to help God out? But you know what I actually think it was? I think he'd grown up around that ark. He'd been sitting out there in his granddaddy's garage for all these years, covered with dust. He'd walked around that ark, seen it so much, didn't mean anything to him. Just a pretty piece of furniture. So he had, he'd become familiar with it. The holy had become humdrum. 
the powerful presence of God had become a pretty piece of furniture. The righteous had become routine. He'd lost all respect for the God that that piece of furniture represented. Now hear me this morning. Have we become like Uzzah? Have we become so familiar with a holy God that our worship has become a ritual? Look at our watch. How much longer can this preacher go? Will he let us out by 12 today? We need to get to the restaurant before the Methodists. Have we lost the awe of holding in our hands the very Word of God? I read that in Qumran, when the scribes in Qumran would write the sacred text, they made they were the copiers. When they would come in the sacred text of the word God, they would stop and lay down their pen and go to a ritual bath and and walk through that ritual bath to symbolize that they wouldn't even write the very word of God without being pure before Him. And yet we handle this like just another book. I walk out to my car after the service and throw it up on the dash in the sun, let it cook, because I don't need it for another week. Have we become like Uzzah? In that we have, we have lost the, the awe of being able to come as God's people and sit together in a comfortable, air-conditioned, soft seat and listen while we hear the Word of God being taught? Or is it just another sermon? Is it just another service? Is it just another? We can check it off for the week. Oh, I've done this, this, and this. Have we lost that? Have you lost that? Awe of a holy God? Uzzah did. And it cost him. Well, David was impacted by Uzzah's death. It had a profound impact on the man. In, back in, in, in 2 Samuel, in chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, and, and David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of God come to me? And so David would not, not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but he took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gideite, and the ark of the Lord remained in his house for three months. And God blessed Odoant Edom and his household. Three months. You know what I think? I believe the evidence is here that David spent the next three months searching the scripture to find out what he needed to do. And when you get over to, to the uh, 12th and 13th verse of, of 2 Samuel 6, it says, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Odom, Edom, and all he has done because of the ark. 
And David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obedim to the city of David. And so it was, those who were bearing the ark went with David to the city. You see, what David learned was that he wasn't supposed to use a cart. The Levites carried the ark. And they are the ones that were to bring it into Jerusalem. And David is overwhelmed. You can imagine, this is something he wanted to do for so long. And in, 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 in 2 Samuel, uh, again, it says, well, let's, let's, let's stay in, uh, in uh, chapter 13. He's, in, 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 this, in this instance, he said, you know, we need to give God the honor as we try to serve. It says, when those bearing the ark of the Lord, 2 Samuel 6, and so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. David was celebrating. We have one man that's dead, and we have a man who's full of delight. He's dancing before the Lord. And he's not wearing his kingly robes. I, I thought that was unusual. Why would a king, why would a king be out there dancing in, in just a aroma a, a of a, 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 like I call it like a, like a mumu, a white uh, ephod? Why would he do that? And I thought about this. If you go to meet the king, what do you do? And you put on your best, don't you? You put on the finest you got. When the king goes to meet the king of kings, in respect for that position of the most high, the king takes off his kingly robes. And his heart was so full. In, in First Chronicles, I have to jump over to verse chapter 16. There's so many of these. Our time is running out, I know, but I want you to see this. It says uh, in verse 2 of First Chronicles 16, And David, when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. They had a feast, if you will. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the God of Israel. Now look at verse 7. On that day, on that day, what day? On the day the ark came into the, to Jerusalem, the day that David danced, the day that David celebrated, the day that David's heart was so full that he poured out blessings on the people, David delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. Guess what that is? It's Psalm 105. Well, write that down when you get a chance. Read Psalm 105. That's David's response to an overflowing heart. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of feeling in your own life? You know how you get it? By doing what God says in His Word. 
by being obedient, by giving God the glory, by putting him first in your life, in your family, and in your church. And David blessed the people. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 43, that's way on over, it says this, if I can find it. Then all the people departed, every man to his house, parties, the celebration's over, and David returned to bless his house. So now you've got to visualize this. Here's a man with an over, I mean, man, they, they've had a revival service. You know how you've come away from some of those services? I mean, you just can't, you can't hold it in. You want to tell somebody. You want somebody else to celebrate with you. David's going to go home and celebrate with his wife. His heart is so full. This man is full of the delight of God. Except he runs into the disgust of Michael. It says in 2 Samuel 6, again, now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. I don't know what was going on in her mind, but I can almost see her thoughts. I can't wait till he gets home. Do you know what a fool you looked at like out there with those without your kingly robes on? I'm the, I, I'm the wife of the king, and you didn't look very kingly. You just were out there showing off. And Man, she can't wait. David goes home to bless his house. Instead of blessing, David gets blasted. Verse 20. 2 Samuel 6. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. I mean, she couldn't wait till the man got in the house. Man, she's going down the front walk to meet him as he's coming in. His heart is overflowing, and hers is stone cold. And she said, How glorious is the king of Israel today! uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids and of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Yeah. David, I mean, she just poured cold water on David's joy. And there's folks that do that. There are folks in the church that see other people celebrating their joy in the Lord and their carnal eye cannot see that. And so all they can do is criticize. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord. 
over Israel, and therefore I will play music before the Lord. I will even be more undignified than this and will be humbled in my own sight. It's a way of showing humility, not having on his kingly robes. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, well, I will be held in honor. And listen to the postscript. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children till the day of her death. One of the greatest embarrassments in all of Israel. You see, it happens in a church that God begins a work and exciting in a movement. But there are those there, and they're always here with a carnal eye that cannot see what God's doing, and all they can do is criticize. And criticism from a carnal heart should never, should never stop us from doing what God has asked us to do. So let's see if we can put this together. Do we, does Mountain View Baptist Church want to experience the power and presence of God in this place, in our lives, in our homes? If we say yes, then we must do what David did and submit ourselves to the directions and the words that God gives us to find that power in this place. God's presence and his blessing does not come on our terms, but only on his. One writer says it this way, the light thrown by the glory of God's purity on the best works of man reveal a host of blemishes Unseen in ordinary light by the carnal eye, our very prayers need to be purged. Our tears need to be wept over. And our repentance repented of. Or the psalmist says it this way. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. That's what God asks. That we come to him, find that cleansing, and experience his powerful presence in our lives. But always keep this in mind. And I can say this as a pastor. That even if we're doing what God wants us to do, there, and, and even if we're doing it the God, way God wants it done, there's always going to be those who criticize. I hope this morning you know Christ is your Savior. We heard some great songs about His saving power. That's how you can experience God's presence in your life, by trusting Him as Savior. But if you know Him, Deal ruthlessly with sin. Don't wait to confess. Seek his face. Let his power be present 
in this place. Let me pray for us.